coming from a very very great uh, uh, scholar and a great celebrity and a very important figure significant figure in uh, the indic uh, uh, indian administration also is the advisor to the prime minister uh, shri vivek debroy uh, we are going to uh, uh, play the recorded keynote address from uh, dr vivek debroy thank you for inviting me i think it's a wonderful wonderful idea that indic academy is focusing on the puranas is focusing on the puranas not only in terms of this event that has been organized but also in terms of several books that indic academy has begin began to bring out on the puranas and some of these books are in the nature of research the puranas have not been taken very seriously that's unfortunate but the puranas have not been taken very seriously at all so i think the first question to ask is what are the puranas and which puranas are we talking about and why is it important for us to read the puranas collectively the expression itihasa and purana is used the word itihasa itihi asa means this is indeed what happened and itihasa of course means the ramayan and the mahabharat most specifically the valmiki ramayan and the mahabharat for various reasons most indians have a fair degree of knowledge about itihas generally speaking people will have some degree of familiarity with what is there in the valmiki ramayana and the mahabharata those stories have been told retold although itihasa ramayana mahabharat is much more than stories according to belief veda vyasa veda vyasa of course is a title it's a title conferred on anyone who collates and classifies the vedas This particular Veda Vyasa is 28 in the line of Veda Vyasas because in every Dwapara Yuga there is a Veda Vyasa who classifies and collates the Vedas. So this particular Veda Vyasa, his proper name was Krishna Dwipayan. Krishna because he was dark. Dwipayan. 
because he was born on an island or deeper. According to popular belief, Krishna Dvaipaya and Veda Vyasa composed the Mahabharata. He composed the Mahabharata in a hundred thousand shlokas. After composing the Mahabharata in a hundred thousand shlokas, he composed 18 Mahapuranas. And collectively, the 18 Mahapuranas amount to 400,000 shlokas. I did an unabridged translation of the Mahabharata in English based on the Bhandarkar Oriental Research Institute's critical edition, which does not have 100,000 shlokas. It has more like 80,000 shlokas, including the Harivangsha. The 10 volume translation that I did in an abridged form of the Mahabharata comes to 2.25 million words of 80,000 shlokas. So if we assume that collectively the Puranas amount to 400,000 shlokas, we are talking about 12 million words and more. According to the popular belief, first Veda Vyasa composed the Mahabharata and then he composed the Puranas. So it's almost a linear chronological timeline with the Mahabharata coming first and the Puranas coming after that. I don't think that is quite true. Today we have these texts. And when I, when I say text, I'm not saying text in written form because rendering into writing came much later. When I am using the word text, I mean texts that were transmitted orally and then the process of oral transmission, there are bound to have been additions, embellishments, interpolations. I'm not talking about the dates of the specific incidents, be it the Ramayana or the Mahabharata. That's a separate issue. But so far as the texts are concerned, to the extent we can date anything with some certainty, when we are talking about the Valmiki Ramayana and the Mahabharata, we are talking about a range of possibly 1000 years from 5000 BCE to from 500 BCE to 500 CE, 1000 years, roughly. Give or take a couple of hundred years on either side, 500 BCE, 500 CE. For the Puranas, the texts as we know them, And the 18 Puranas are very heterogeneous. The texts as we know them, the rough date would be something like 300 CE to maybe even 1200 CE. Again, a span of almost 1000 years. And as I said earlier, the impression is 
Vedavyasa first composed the Mahabharata, then he composed the Puranas. I think this kind of a linear suggestion is inordinately simplistic. For example, many of the Puranas are recounted by Shuka or Shukadeva, Veda Vyasa's son. In the Mahabharata, we are told that Shukadeva attained Mukti. He merged into nature. If this had happened in the Mahabharata, then logically he could not have recounted the Puranas. So I think what really happened, and it is impossible to establish this in, with any degree of certainty, there was a core Purana text which Veda Vyasa composed. And that core Purana text recounted by Sutas and Magadhas existed independently of the Mahabharata and the Valmiki Ramayana, forget the Valmiki Ramayana for the moment, existed independently of the Mahabharata. They were contemporary texts, not linear. And over a period of time, they expanded linearly. I've been using the word Purana without explaining what a Purana is. As per the definition, a Purana is supposed to have five characteristics, Pancha Lakshana. It is supposed to describe Sarga, which means the original creation, the primary creation, and at the end, the opposite of Sarga, which is the eventual dissolution, universal dissolution or destruction, pralaya. So that's the first characteristic a Purana is supposed to satisfy, the first of the Lakshanas. It must describe that original creation and the eventual dissolution. But within that, there are secondary cycles of creation and destruction. Prati Sarga. So Purana must describe that also. The secondary cycle of creation and destruction. Second of the Pancha Lakshanas. In terms of the divisions of time, there are two parallel divisions of time in our tradition. One, of course, is in terms of Satya Yuga, Krita Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapara Yuga, Kali Yuga. And including the Sandhyangsas, the intervening period between one Yuga and another, we have 12,000 years in terms of years of the gods. So this 1000 such Mahayugas 
amount to one day for Brahma. When Brahma is awake, creation happens. When it is Brahma's night, there is the destruction, dissolution, pralaya. So this is one kind of classification in terms of the Mahayugas. Parallelly, there is a division into Manvantaras, each Manvantara being presided over by a Manu. Sambhuva Manu being the first. So Manvantaras are also errors. And the third Lakshana of a Purana is that it must describe the Manvantaras. There is a word that is fairly common and that word is Deva if it is masculine, Devi if it is feminine, Devata if it is masculine, Devata if it is feminine and we loosely translate this as gods or goddesses. I think one should be very careful in translating such words as gods or goddesses because the word God or the goddess has a Western kind of nuance that we automatically tend to assume. These Devas and Devis are not gods and goddesses in this that sense. The word Deva or Devi simply means the shining one, the resplendent one, the dazzling one. The root means shining, which is the reason the sun is Divakara, which is the reason the day is Diva. In the Western tradition, like in the Bible, let me quickly remind people that Lucifer translates as the shining one. But to come back to the point, I don't want to digress too much. In terms of the descriptions that are given, Devas and Devis are simply a superior species compared to human beings. They are not God with a capital G. There are descriptions of the Nala Damayanti Swayambar. Well, not Nala Damayanti Swayambar, of Damayanti Swayambar where Nala came. Four of the Lokapalas the guardians of the world also wanted to marry Damayanti and also wanted to test her. So they came to that Swayambara disguised as Nala. But, but Damayanti could recognize that these were not Nala. These were Indra, Mitra, Varuna and Yama because they did not sweat because their eyes did not blink, because they did not cast shadows and so on and so forth. Because the garlands they wore did not fade. So Deva, Devi, these are not gods and therefore Devas and Devis and Rishis were also subject to birth oblique manifestation. So the fourth characteristic of Purana must satisfy in terms of the Pancha Lakshanas is 
describe the origins of devas and rishis and the fifth and final characteristic panchalakshana of a purana is it must describe the genealogies of surya vamsha or solar dynasty and chandra vamsha or lunar dynasty if one imagines a map of india in front in in front of one's eyes the narration of the ramayana is the narration of surya vamsha and happens along the north south axis and the narration of the mahabharata of chandra vamsha happens along the east west axis so between the two of them the ramayana and the mahabharata they cover the entire geographical expanse of bharatavarsha i have given the mechanical definition of puranas in terms of the pancha lakshanas but the puranas are much more than that the puranas are encyclopedias they are treasure houses of knowledge there is a side question about how we define and understand hinduism hinduism is quite often particularly in the west interpreted as otherworldly hinduism is interpreted and equated with moksha and mukti emancipation and liberation from the cycle of sansara of birth death and rebirth but our texts themselves say that only one among crores and crores will ever be able to escape from this cycle of sansara for the others we are stuck in sansara and the itihasa and purana corpus is referred to as the pancham veda because it tells us what individuals who are in brahmacharya and more typically in garhastha are supposed to do as opposed to vedanta and upanishads meant for those who are in vanaprastha and sanyasa so if you are trying to understand what hinduism stands for what is hinduism to only look at the slice that is about moksha dharma to only look at the slice that is about mukti to only look at the slice that is about freedom from this bond of sansara that gives a very imperfect understanding of hinduism hinduism is not otherworldly hinduism is also about what we do in this life where do we find it the nature of the valmiki ramayana is slightly different from the nature of the mahabharata 
all of this was poetry and the two poets valmiki and vedavyasa was completely different valmiki as a poet was superb in descriptions of nature so valmiki ramayana has wonderful wonderful poetry in that form but fundamentally ramayana is ramayana all the other protagonists figure it is about rama's journey it is about rama's progress the nature of the mahabharata is completely different unfortunately in popular renderings we have often rendered the mahabharata into a battle fought between the kauravas and the pandavas in dharmashetra kurukshetra the mahabharata is much more than that the mahabharata has extensive geographical descriptions the mahabharata has this template of dharma in terms of the purusharthas or the objectives of human existence there is dharma artha kama and moksha the word dharma is very difficult to translate in english because in different contexts it means different things so the mahabharata is also about not just moksha dharma it is about the three purusharthas of dharma artha and kama it is about the template of varna ashrama dharma it is about individual dharma it is about raja dharma it is about the practices we should do it is about the practices we should follow it is about governance the raja dharma path the puranas add to this i said that the puranas amount to 400000 shlokas there is a listing by the way there are the mahapuranas the major puranas and there are the upapuranas minor puranas the list of the upapuranas is not very uniform throughout the country there are local variations so if i go to the eastern parts of india and i look for a list of the 18 upapuranas kalika purana is certain to figure there but not necessarily ganesha purana if i go to the western parts of india in the list of upapuranas ganesha purana is certainly to figure but not necessarily kalika purana unlike that except very very minor differences the list of the 18 mahapuranas is standardized it is mentioned in the puranas themselves very minor differences in terms should the bayu purana be included in addition to the agni purana or should it be the bhavishya purana instead that kind of minor difference so there are 18 mahapuranas and all of them are encyclopedias amongst the 18 puranas 
it is only the vishnu purana which sticks to the panchalakshana template all the other mahapuranas build on the panchalakshana template they have the panchalakshana template but they have plenty of material in addition to that and they vary in length the shortest one is roughly about 8000 shlokas very very roughly speaking one shloka converts into 20 words in english very rough gives you some idea of the length so the shorter mahapuranas are about 8000 shlokas thereabouts the longest mahapurana is the skanda purana which has a mammoth 85000 shlokas which makes it as long as the mahabharata almost so you can imagine its size the second longest padma purana the second longest is the padma purana it has 55000 shlokas again a huge text unfortunately these texts have not been translated when i say these texts have not been translated i mean translations in unabridged form and when i'm making that strong assertion i mean all of them together obviously some of the mahapuranas are more popular than the others for example the bhagavat purana is probably arguably the most popular purana of course the bhagavat purana has been translated it's read all the time or if not all of it the 10th skanda the bhagavat purana has sections known as the skandhas the 10th skanda is read all the time but have all the puranas been translated unabridged certainly in english they have not i am not familiar naturally with every indian language but amongst the languages i know amongst the indian languages i know i can mention puranas which have not been translated not only in english but they have not even been translated in the indian language in unabridged form and i repeat don't misunderstand i'm talking about all of them which is the reason i am engaged in this task of translating the puranas in english the bhagavat puran and the markande puran have already been published the publisher of all my translations is penguin the brahma puran and the vishnu puran have been done 
but because of covid publication got delayed so these two will be published in the course of this calendar year i am now translating the shiva puran which is the third longest puran will be published next year sometime it is my hope to accomplish the translation of all the 18 mahapuranas will i be able to do that i do not know i am reasonably certain i will be able to do 17 of them i don't really know about the skanda puran which i just told you is the longest in the course of the translation i discovered that the number of shlokas a mahapurana is supposed to have i gave you those figures earlier 400000 shlokas altogether those are the reported figures of number of shlokas in the mahapuranas but in the course of the translation i have discovered that in some cases the number of shlokas we have in the text today is lower some some of the shlokas may have been lost so when we look at that 400000 shloka figure let us bear that in mind i think we should cast our minds back to bengal in the middle of the 19th century why am i mentioning this i'm mentioning this because i earlier referred to the fact that the puranas have been largely ignored for example if you look at the sacred books of the east series translated by Max Muller, not translated, edited by Max Muller, translated by various people. They focused on the Upanishads. They focused on Dharma Shastras. In so far as other translations were concerned, they focused on literature like Kalidasa. So by and large, that. of the puranas was ignored was dismissed as myths in bengal in the 19th century second half of the 19th century partly thanks to the asiatic society i am using the word asiatic society although the name of the organization changed over time let's just call it asiatic society <coughs> partly thanks to asiatic society sanskrit texts of the puranas began to be published sanskrit editions and texts of the puranas started to be published one by one everything was not completed but it started someone like haraprasad shastri went to nepal because the manuscripts of some of these puranas were available in the royal collection in nepal and brought them back there was a series not sacred books of the east but sacred books of the hindus published from allahabad by panini press first 
20 years of the 20th century. What is to be noted in all of this is the government directly had little role or no role in all of this. These attempts were driven by the community through subscriptions, donation, contributions, not government funded. It's a different matter that Rajendralal Mitra and Kishori Mohan Ganguly were given pension subsequently by the government of the day. But essentially, this was done by citizens and communities as a collective exercise because we thought this was important. Contrast it with today, and I'm not talking about my translations, which also are completely individual. In the early 1950s, the Ministry of Human Resource Development or the Ministry of Education funded an exercise for the publication of the texts of the Sanskrit texts of the Puranas. Government-funded, government-driven. And the Purana texts you will find today, for the Puranas, unlike the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, we do not have critical editions. The Purana texts that we use today are essentially based on those texts that were put together by boards of scholars, driven by government funding. Similarly, some translations of the Puranas, unabridged translations in English, were also driven by the government, funded by the government. This is a series that has stopped, but had started and was being published under boards of scholars, edited by boards of scholars and published by Motilal Venarasidha. And I think we must remember this perspective because if this legacy is important to us, if this treasure house of knowledge is important to us, then it is important for citizens as collective entities to do this and not look at the government to do it. When Panchanan Tarkaratna towards the end of the 19th century and beginning of 20th century brought out Bengali translations unabridged of the Puranas with texts written in the Bengali script. It was not funded by the government. But today, a citizens expect everything to be done by the government. B, when there are people with resources, they tend to go and fund initiatives operating out of Harvard and Oxford and Heidelberg, but will not fund the domestic initiatives. So if I fund initiatives from Harvard, uh, Cambridge, Oxford and Heidelberg, those initiatives will cater to what are the priorities on the part of those people. 
and i already alluded to the fact that for the western scholars the puranas are regarded as myths which is why i again want to underline my congratulations of indic academy for having undertaken this exercise willy nilly in our daily lives when we follow dharma in whatever form it is actually the puranas we are following when i go to a temple the way a temple should be constructed it figures in other texts also but the way a temple should be constructed is described in the matsya purana the way an image or of a deva or a devi should be designed crafted is described is described in other texts also but it is described in the agni purana when i do a shraddha ceremony the rites for that shraddha ceremony are described in the garuda purana and there is a wealth of geographical material if i want to fit in the purana the, the chronology of india's history quite often people say india has no track record of history not true at all it is just that where the history exists we have chosen to ignore that for example the puranas tell us very minor difference in years whether it is 1050 or 1015 the puranas tell us about the length of time that elapsed between the accession of parikshit to mahapadmananda mahapadmananda has been corroborated by external evidence by the greek sublique macedonians so we have a timeline of history and one of the books that indic academy recently published is a remarkable one because it tries to integrate this particular bit of indian history with the indus saraswati civilization but that's a different matter the last person who seriously attempted to do some research on the puranas was parjitar we may or may not like what parjitar did always but at least he did some research followed up a little bit by pusalkar later on the last textual analysis of the puranas i think was 1941 i'm not very sure i don't remember the year exactly by dr hazra it was a phd thesis in the university of dhaka so we have reduced the puranas to dummied down versions caricatures of what the puranas are in tv serials comic strips 
apps and games focusing on the stories. The Puranas have stories, but they're not only about stories. They have a lot of information. Let me give you two examples. Markandeya Puran. By the way, there is a significant section in the Markandeya Puran on Devi Mahatma. This is what is read in the form of Chandi in the eastern parts of India or under the name of Durga Saptashati in the northern parts of India. So whenever we chant Ya Devi Sarva Bhuteshu Sakti Rupena Sangasthita Namastasai 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 Namo Namaha or when we chant Om Sarva Mangala Mangale Shive Sarvata Sadike Sharanyatrambake Gauri Narayani Namastute. All of these are from that particular part of Markandeya Puran. Anyway, in the Markandeya Puran, there is the story of a demoness. And this demoness is known as Jata Hari. Jata means to be born. Harini is someone who steals, takes away. So what does this demon as Jata Harini do? Jata Harini goes to a house where there is a newborn baby, an infant. Steals that newborn baby or infant. Takes it to another house where there is a newborn baby of infant. Replaces that one with this takes that, goes to another house and does the same thing, exchanging babies and exchanging infants, newborn babies and causing general confusion. But in the process, Jata Harini also devours every third child. Every third child is devoured. What this tells me, what this tells everyone, what this should tell everyone is that the infant mortality rate then was one third. 333 per thousand. To me, this is a significant tidbit about the socio-economic development of the period. If we leave the Puranas and research on the Puranas only to Sanskrit Pandits, this will not click. Which is the reason I personally believe we need to bring a multidisciplinary lens and apply it to the Puranas. which I think is what Indic Academy is trying to do. There are other kinds of information also. I said originally maybe the old Purana Sanghita was one, but in different parts of India it embellished, it was embellished, expanded to become the 18 Mahapuranas as we know them now. These Puranas were not necessarily composed in the same place, geographical place. 
Therefore, they have focuses on certain parts of India. All of us know the story of Manu. Manu, as in Vishnu's first avatar, Matsya avatar, Meena avatar. We know that story. There was going to be a deluge. Manu, Manu went to bathe in the river. And there he found a small fish. He brought it back, put it in a pot. The fish started to expand, become larger and larger and larger and larger, and eventually saved Manu from the deluge. All of us know the story, Matsevata. By the way, what is the name of the river? I've met very few people who know the name of the river. The name of the river is Kritamala. Very few people know where Kritamala is. Kritamala is a tributary of the Vaiga near Madurai, near the railway station. So these kinds of geographical knowledge are also important. And the Puranas, not just the Mahabharata, the Puranas also, they have a wealth of geographical knowledge. The Brahma, the Brahma Purana, the second part of the Brahma Purana, is called the Gautami Mahatya. Extensive descriptions of the area around the Narmada. But like I said, they were composed in different parts of India. So the Bhagavat Purana was largely composed in the southern parts, to the extent we can determine it, in and around the region around Tamil Nadu today. So this fish that Manu found, <coughs> in the Bhagavad Purana, this fish is described as a safari. A safari is a silvery white fish found in the sea. Tamil Nadu, coastal parts, Bhagavad Purana, so the fish was a safari, silvery white fish found in the sea. I now go to the Brahma Puran, composed in and around the area around Orissa today. And that fish now becomes a Rohita fish. A Rohita, the word Rohita means red. A Rohita fish is of course the Rohu fish, very popular in the eastern parts. So these little things I find to be very interesting. I am somewhat delighted and appalled at the same time that I find Madalasa's chant to her son Alarka being rendered almost like a western opera floating around on the net and very, very popular. Well, since it's being disseminated, I'm happy. But I certainly would not like Madalasa's chant to her baby Alarka to be rendered almost like a Western opera. Where is this? Where is this from? It is from the Markandepura. In terms of Moksha Dharma, There is a beautiful allegory of King Puranjana in 
द भागवत पुराण आर दीज थिंग्स नॉर्मली नोन आई डोंट थिंक सो इंस्टेड एज आई सेट वी रिड्यूज द पुराना टू हाउ डिड गणेश लूज इज हेड this is why i think it is important to read the puranas because they offer us as a template of dharma with dharma not being translated as religion dharma being translated as something yeh dharyate as a dharma whatever holds up society that is what the puranas are it's the history it's the poetry is the geography is the genealogy it's our template of dharma all of this is in the puranas which is the reason we need to read them because if we do not read them i think we will lose out and very very important bit of our legacy our itihasa our tradition our sanskriti all of this is described in the puranas i am glad something is happening now after many many years thanks to indic academy this event as well as the publications i mentioned earlier there is interest in the puranas for my part as i said i am doing my little bit of translating them into english i think ideally they should be read in sanskrit if you cannot read sanskrit and you are interested in english as i said for some of the puranas not bhagavat purana there are no translations so therefore you might as well read my translations thank you very much namaste that was simply extraordinary uh talk and an oversight on uh, the puranas thank you so much vivek uh, ji for always encouraging uh, indic academy's uh, work not just uh, readily accepting to give us the keynote address for this event but you always been very very supportive of me personally and always been encouraging us thank you very very much